0: Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash-flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing
1: Cashflow. I'm your host as usual, Andrew Shutsky. You may recognize our guest from our prior episode, Arn Senadella. He's back again today to talk about flipping, find a little bit of diversity outside the multifamily space. And just in case you're living under a rock and you haven't heard of Arne yet or you haven't listened to the last episode, he's been around real estate for quite some time, forty plus years ranging across sales, property management, investments, including long-term holds. He's recently shifted his strategy, and I guess it's not so recent anymore, but to both active and passing investing in multifamily and has invested in well over 1,100 units to date. So welcome back, Arn. and thanks for joining once again.
2: Yeah, great to see you again, Andrew. Looking forward to having another nice chat with you about real estate. Always
1: a blast, man, always a blast. So you've been in real estate 40-plus years. When did you start flipping?
2: I started flipping actually when I left Silicon Valley, Uh, because flipping a $2 million house is a lot different than flipping a $125,000 house. So uh, I started flipping uh, when I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, 2014. Um, Probably my first major flip was I found an old house on an acre, not far from my residence. And I knew the area and I knew the street and... um, I knew there had been a subdivision of some land just down the road, so I had an idea that this one acre could be split. Sure enough, we cut it into three parts, created two new lots, renovated the house, and that kind of got me started on the flipping career, so kind of knowing the local zoning helped, um, and I use the people who renovate my house to, to renovate the existing house. So now I guess I basically have flipped probably 30, 35 homes over the last five or six years. Well,
1: wow, that's a lot of volume. So are you doing this on your own? Are you want to the partnership?
2: Uh, no, I certainly don't do it on my own. Uh, so I have a, a good partner, Leo, who. Runs the cruise, deals with the headaches of getting contractors to show up, uh, scheduling everything and so forth. So I kind of more focus on the acquisition, uh, finding the deals, kind of analyzing the market, the after repair value, bringing the investors together And then Leo takes care of the dirty work uh, of actually getting the job done. So Leo is my main partner. And then from there, over the years, we've built up uh, two or three different sources. Let's call them two or three different vendors, two or three different crews that we use for these renovation projects. And so I would say... For your audience who wants to do flipping, it's a great way to generate capital quickly. Uh, But a key component is having people to do the work that you can trust. And so it does take some time to build up the proper crew. I'm fortunate here in Greenville to have two or three crews I can kind of count on. And so it's definitely a team effort. And... uh, Uh, you know, we have it down fairly well, not to say there aren't surprises and unpleasant surprises from time to time.
1: (laughs) We'll get into that in a second. We'll (laughs) see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm sure you got some more stories. So you're the acquisition guy. What are you looking for? What's your strategy? Uh, how are you weeding out the seemingly dozens or hundreds of bad deals out there?
2: Well, yeah, that's a great question. And so I would say one thing, uh, Most of these flip type properties, which are going to be the rundown, beat up kind of distressed single family homes, uh, they're typically not bought and sold through MLS. Most of the time, wholesalers have got them and they'll put them out there. So when you're dealing with a wholesaler, you need to kind of move quickly to secure the deal and move on. So I would say, number one, I know my market. And there are three or four neighborhoods that have great potential for flip. They're typically kind of neighborhoods that are undergoing transformation, uh, gentrification, maybe to a certain degree. So I look in specific neighborhoods in Greenville and most of the time in Greenville, I'd like to find them kind of 80, 90, 100, maybe to about 100 and a quarter. So the resale could be about 250, 275, because in this market with today's interest rates, that's kind of very accessible for your young first time kind of millennial hipster buyer, if that makes sense. Um, And so that's what I kind of focus on in terms of investment criteria. The one thing I probably pay the most attention to is I want my estimated profit to be roughly equivalent to the renovation cost. So it doesn't matter so much what I pay for the property or what the after repair value is, what I'm kind of looking for if my renovation cost is 50, I'd like to make about fifty thousand on the deal, so that's how I kind of evaluate. I don't do kind of a percentage. If if it's a hundred thousand renovation, I want to try to make a hundred thousand profit on top of it.
1: That makes sense because you think about from a risk perspective, the more outlay you're putting in the property, the more things that could go wrong. So you kind of want that reward to be symmetrical, right?
2: Yes, and and usually the 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 time, and of course, one thing with flips is you like to get them in and out is better. Uh, and of course, the more money you spend, I was talking to one investor uh, yesterday, and he basically figures he's, he can spend $10,000 a week on a house. So if it's a $50,000 budget, he kind of estimates it's a five-week job. If it's $80,000, it's about an eight-week job. And I, and I think that's a, a thing, you know, your full construction crews, you get four or five guys out there. It's about 1500 2000 a day, right? And then you add in materials. So um, I kind of thought that was a cool way to think about it, 10000 per week to spend. And that kind of gives you a timeline.
1: I mean, if that seems to work out from a rough order of magnitude, it certainly simplifies creating a whole bunch of Gantt charts and spreadsheets and trying to overcomplicate the situation. So, if you're, if that's your rule of thumb and it's working, more power to you.
2: Yes, yes.
1: What about on the financing side? Right, you're you're going after you know relatively lower lower value housing, so you can, you have the option maybe of either using your own cash, raising cash, or financing. What are you doing there?
2: Uh, I do all three. So you're, you're exactly right. Um, on some deals, I just do them by cash. Other deals, I pull investors and we all pony up cash and kind of do a joint venture type thing. And then also I've gone and borrowed money um, and and two of the outfits I've used have been Lima One Capital and Finance of America and... Um, You're not going to get your conventional 4% interest rate, but the interest rates are better than 10 to 12 hard money. So it's kind of a blended. You might pay about 8%. Uh, And the nice thing working with those guys, they'll help finance the renovation costs too. So if you have kind of a track record, you can get 90% of the purchase price financed and almost 100% of the renovation cost. So I do all three, just kind of depending on um, what the project is. I, uh, at one point, did a five-house flip in downtown Greenville, and basically I raised about a million bucks cash to do that. So we didn't borrow any money. I think I had 13 investors and the project came out great. Um, as an operator, there's pros or cons between borrowing the money and working with investors. And I think you just have to kind of sort through it step-by-step.
1: That makes sense. So what's your, you know, when you look at a hold period and a range, you're trying to size up when I'm going to exit. What, I mean, this is a weird time in the market right now, you know, we're we're looking back a year. This is June to what, 21. The market's insane. I mean, it's hard to even get a listing out there without it being sold the first day. You can't count on that all the time. So, you know, looking back over the four or five year period, what's your typical hold period? What are you shooting for best, worst case?
2: Uh, I would say depending on the, the scope of the remodel. So there may be some flips where they're basically cosmetic. You go in and you stick in new kitchen and bath paint or finish the four windows. Those I think you could hope to get done in about three months construction. You put them on the market and maybe it takes another month or two to get it closed. Uh, for a more major renovation, let's call it down to the studs, where you basically gut everything, new plumbing, heating, and electrical, and you're kind of starting at square one. Really, those projects take four or five months to get done. And then you're kind of looking more at about a six, seven, eight-month hold, Um I'm blessed to be in Greenville because the market's very strong. I actually put a flip on the market Thursday night, but I didn't get pictures posted till Saturday morning. And what's it today? Tuesday. I've already got three offers on it, something priced at $339. So um, I guess, so one, I think if you're doing flips, if you can kind of price it where it's accessible to those first-time home buyers, because if you look at today's rates, somebody could buy a $250,000 house for maybe total payment $1,200, $1,300 a month with with 3% down. So in some markets, it's actually cheaper to own than rent, and so if you can kind of price your finished product to appeal to those people, there's usually not a problem getting an offer right away. Of course, you have to price it right. And um, so we'll see. I'll negotiate those offers over the next day or so and kind of see what happens.
1: That's awesome. So from a risk standpoint, what, you know, either something you've learned from or some, uh, a list of things others should look out for, what, what's on your criteria? What are your, what are your top three or four things?
2: Well, so, okay. So, what I would say is if you can't handle unpleasant surprises, if you can't deal with problems, you probably don't want to be flipping houses. Um, Because generally, the, the houses you're buying are run down, they may be abandoned. You have limited time to make a decision. They're cheap. There are a lot of people out there looking to flip. So the other truth is until you open things up, you may not know exactly what you're dealing with. You could look at it all day, but until you rip open a wall or floor, you may not know what you're dealing with, okay? Mm -hmm. So you just have to accept that unknown. And so I think the big risk is if you get into a deal that's too tight, when an unexpected expense comes up, that could wipe out some or most of your profit. But again, I think on flips, you're gonna have a a array of outcomes from a home run to a break even. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast. I would be skeptical of anyone saying, yeah, every flip I've done has been a home run uh, because uh, in my experience, I just don't see it working that way. So we've seen things where we've had foundation problems, we had a fix and it's a bitter pill, but you just keep trucking, you get it done. You got to get the house finished. Uh, Fortunately, when the market's appreciating, oftentimes what happens is, your estimated ARV from six months ago proves to be low. So if you have a little bit more expense, your ARV is actually higher than you anticipated. So the rising market helps uh, compensate, cover up, so it yeah. cover up some yeah. of those increased expenses. So uh, I would say that's the biggest risk is kind of unknown expenses. And I think as you get into it, you start to learn these homes and you can start to anticipate what problems they are. And of course, the more you do, the better your handle is on cost, right? Because with most flips, you don't have the option to wait three weeks to get a detailed estimate. You generally kind of have to make a decision on the fly. And so to the degree you start to know, you know, after you've done five or six houses, you have a pretty good idea of what this stuff's going to cost. So you can just transfer that data to the next one, make a few adjustments and move on.
1: That's great. Are you bringing your contractors through the walkthrough or you walk around if you can't get in the property?
2: Uh, Yes, as best I can. I usually typically bring one or two of my vendors. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that certainly helps. So, you know, I got to ask, we're talking about risks. Um, Give me a great example of something that's etched in your brain and, you know, it didn't go well, or it maybe broke even or lost money. I'd love to hear one story around that where you've been quote unquote crushed.
2: Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Well, fortunately I've never been crushed. Okay. Um, You know, there's a guy, Omar Khan, and one of his great sayings is, just live to fight another day, right? And so just like investing in the stock market, you're going to pick winners, you're going to pick losers. I think real estate's a little safer than that, but you're not always going to be right. So I would say, yes, there have been flips where I've just broken even, and I was happy to get my money out and move on. So in terms of a strange experience, I'll talk about the current house we've got on the market now. So We purchased it early September, uh, basically gutted it, had all the rough plumbing. Uh, So we purchased the September, started the the renovation. We ordered windows mid-October. They promised us delivery mid-December. So we got it, we put in all the rough-ins, plumbing, heating, HVAC, electrical. We re-sheetrock, everything's ready to go. And it's now early December, so the manufacturer, which is a big U.S. company, calls and goes, well, we've had a delay on the windows, so we're, but we'll have them to you before Christmas, we promise. So, a couple days before Christmas, we got a call, and they said, sorry, we're closing the factory due to COVID. Mm. You'll have the windows in March. Ooh. All right. So talk about a bummer. So, you know, I've got five investors and they've all been with me, so they understand. So we basically boarded the house up because at that point, the rough ends were all done. You really don't want to put the finished materials in until you get the windows in. Right. So there was no point putting the cabinets and redoing the floors. Right. So, so We boarded up all the windows, and that was cool, but vacant houses tend to attract attention. So one day I get a call from Leo, can you come on over? It turned out some people, perhaps (laughs) drug-induced... cut through the plywood and climbed into the house. So they were crashing there. And fortunately they just wanted a place to be warm and, and blah, blah, blah. But we had a month or two where we kind of had to rouse them out. Uh, The windows finally came mid March. We got it done and now the house is on the market, but there's a three month delay that, that there is no way to anticipate. And uh, I'm probably not the only, real estate guy in the U S who's been hung up waiting for windows. It, it was a brick house. So we had to order custom windows and we just got, got caught in COVID.
1: No, you're, you're probably the normal in this day and age. We, we did a, a project um, down the coast of Jersey here. where We were doing siding over the winter. Unfortunately we didn't do windows. We were going to, and uh, they started to pull everything off. Materials would be there next week. Uh, I think eight weeks went by before we saw the first <laughs> the first piece of siding. So what happened after that? Leaks all over the house. I mean, so that that delay cost us months of headaches and expenses, thousands of dollars in repair. And of course they didn't cover it, right? Oh, we taped off around the windows, so it should have been fine. No, it wasn't. So yeah. <laughs> I feel your pain.
2: Yeah, it, you know, and what what are you gonna do? I mean. It's just part and parcel. Uh, I mean, flipping is a very active time. Um, It consumes time. It's a very kind of active where you got to really be involved. And I think it's great to grow capital quickly And especially if you have some construction skills yourself, I think it's a good fit for younger people who want to kind of grow their capital base to get into flipping. But as I said, it's not for the faint of heart.
1: Absolutely. So so great stories. And thanks once again for bringing us all through that. I think we've covered a lot of aspects here. One last question for me. How can listeners get in in touch with you if they want to talk flipping, multifamily, investing in general?
0: Sure.
2: So uh, my business company is Spark Investment Group. And uh, the website is investwithspark.com. My email is arn at investwithspark.com and my cell 650-575-6114.
1: Man, bull! Don't be sending them any text messages at midnight or anything. No, well, up.
2: that's okay. I leave my phone in the kitchen. <laughs> These people have their phone next to the bed. I don't quite understand yeah, it. Yeah, I'm
1: one of them. I, I, I should <laughs> I should take from you. You learned, yeah.
2: Well, but you manage a whole staff of people probably yeah. all over the world, so yeah. y- you know I, I don't Still. manage a hundred people like you do. So I, it's... I don't want to
1: be talking to them at, at 12. <laughs> I actually use the do not disturb function, which uh, would help, which helps me, and I set that pretty early so yeah yeah, but
2: but but that that's part of the w2 world for you that's right
1: well thanks again man so so much fun
2: yep thank you so much andrew so great talking to you and uh hope your listeners got a little bit uh of knowledge and useful information
1: i'm sure way more than a little Thanks,
2: okay thank you
0: thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the crushing cash flow podcast We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey. And we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.